And we're back. You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode 36. So as always, let's start by shouting out some of the all-time greats who wore the number. Don Newcomb, a Brooklyn Dodgers legend. The first guy ever to win an MVP, a Cy Young, and a Rookie of the Year throughout his career. And until the very end, at the age of 92 when he passed away last year, he was at every single Dodger game at Dodger Stadium. And that was fucking cool because Dodgers talked his ear off. He gave them all the knowledge, passed it on to them. And the best thing about him, he was dressed to a T. Some of the finest suits you'll ever see Don Newcomb was rocking. And then we'll shout out Jerome the Bus Bettis, one of the great all-time running backs, Pittsburgh Steelers legend, Super Bowl champion, once drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. So shout out to him and that nickname, the bus, because no one was bigger and badder getting the ball at the end zone than Jerome Bettis. So let's start this podcast. We're going to talk about week two of the NFL season and to sum it up in a couple of words, injuries, blown leads and injuries. They happen across the board. If you drafted Christian McCaffrey first overall in your fantasy league this year, you better hold on tight because he's out for the next four to six weeks with an ankle injury. And then if you didn't have first pick and you had second pick, you probably drafted Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants, and he is done for the year ACL tear, and that's unfortunate. But we knew sooner or later it was going to come with that shit offensive line he had in front of him. And then blown leads, that's where we'll start. I'm going to talk about that game specifically right now. The Atlanta Falcons went into Dallas Cowboys Stadium, were up 20 to nothing at some point, and then blew it. And today, if the Falcons didn't blow that game, if they actually jumped on that onside kick at the end of the game, today we would be talking about how awful the Dallas Cowboys have looked through two weeks. They're 0-2 under their new head coach, Mike McCarthy, and the sky would be falling down. And that's unfortunate because, yes, I was high on the Cowboys this year, but there's nothing better on Sunday than watching the Cowboys crumble. They've been called America's team, and that has pissed me off from the start. They were good in the 90s, and they've been nothing since. Eight and eight has been the staple over there. And Jerry Jones, I'd rather see him pissed off in his box seats and then clapping and looking like he's the happiest man on earth because his team came back when they were down 39 to 24 with five minutes left in the game. And today, now the talk's going to be about how the Falcons blew it and the Cowboys somehow are one and one when they should be 0 and 2 and they were going to go into week three taking on the Seattle Seahawks who look like a juggernaut in the NFC. But let's talk about that onside kick. Greg Zerline, the leg, he was a former Ram, and it was one of the prettiest onside kicks in the history of the game. Put it in slow-mo. It's replayed in my head a hundred times. And you know why? Because I have no idea what the Falcons were thinking. They have a thing called hands team in the NFL. That's when you put your best guys out there who are able to hang on to the football, catch it when it's coming at you either 100 miles per hour or it's dribbling at you like a bunt back to the pitcher in baseball. And when Greg Zerline kicked that thing and it started spinning like a dreidel, every guy on the Falcons' hands team stared at it for whatever reason. I don't know. They were mesmerized by it. But I got a nephew named Little Cash who's two and a half years old, and if I spun a football right in front of him, he would jump on that thing. And these are grown-ass men who were on the hands team of the Atlanta Falcons and they either didn't know the rule that they could jump on the ball. It doesn't have to go 10 yards for them. That's right. It doesn't have to go 10 yards for you to jump on it. And that ball passed two Falcons 
who clearly could have jumped on it while the Cowboys were waiting for it to go 10 yards, and they didn't do it. So the Cowboys get the ball back, kick a game-winning field goal, and go on to win 40-39. to How the Falcons blew it, I don't know. We should have expected it because we know what happened in the Super Bowl when they played the Patriots, and they were up 27-3 to at halftime. Dan Quinn still somehow has that job. I think if there's a fireable offense... It's blowing this game to the Dallas Cowboys because everyone in America wanted to talk about how the Cowboys were 0-2 this morning. Let's jump on to the game that I was excited to watch. I got my Rams shirt jersey on right now. Aaron Donald, a freak at defensive tackle, involved in every single play there has to be. And the Rams went out and won 37-19 against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philly. And the Rams offense has never looked better. I mean, they threw it back two years to when they were on their way to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Everyone's getting involved. Their running game looks one of the best in the NFL. Malcolm Brown was the guy last week. This week, it was Daryl Henderson. And who's going to stop that rushing attack? I don't know. Who has that job right now? I talked about it last week. I don't know who has it. I don't think anyone has it this, at this point. It's a three-headed monster back there with Daryl Henderson Jr., Cam Akers, and Malcolm Brown. And then Jared Goff, obviously, when the running game's working, it opens things up for him. Tyler Higby at tight end caught three tutties. Jared Goff went 20 of 27 for 263 yards. Sean McVay is back, and I'm excited to see it because Rams games are washable. Last year, let's face it, I mean, we thought it was a shitty year. They went 9-7. and seven. They were the only team over 500 with a winning record to not make playoffs. And this year, at 2-0 start, looking as electric as ever. Let's go. They play the Bills next week. Shout out Bucky Bitten. We're going to have some money on that one. Let's jump to another game. The Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, outside of Saquon Barkley getting hurt, I don't really have much to say about this game. Mitch Trubisky somehow has the Bears sitting at 2-0 two weeks into the season when he was battling for his life in the offseason to keep that job. And the Bears end up winning 17-13. And we'll see how long that lasts. But shout out to Mitch Trubisky and some of the worst spirals you'll ever see throw are coming from that guy's right arm. Skip right ahead to the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. We saw how great Aaron Rodgers looked at last week. This week, the other Aaron was the guy to watch in that game. Aaron Jones. Outside of Christian McCaffrey and maybe Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones should be mentioned in the same breath as those guys as far as dual threat running backs go. He had four receptions for 68 yards and a tud, and then had 18 rushes for 168 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Number 33 for the Green Bay Packers. If their running game is at an all-time high, watch the F out. Aaron Rodgers, 18 of 30, two touchdowns. Pretty average game for him, but of course he doesn't throw an interception. They were down at one point, 14-3 to Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford, but Green Bay went on to win 42-21. Matt Patricia has that job for how long? I don't know. Because a lot of people were picking that as their sneaky team and a bad decision at that. The Packers won 13 games last year. They look like they could be better this season, and it looks like they're going to run away with that division because the Vikings, Bears, and Lions, I don't think are going to sniff that division title. Moving on to the game, the Indianapolis Colts led by Phillip Rivers taking on those Minnesota Vikings. And the Minnesota Vikings have a lot of talent, but they are shit. I had this as my lock of the week after how bad Phillip Rivers played last week. I said, you know what? Vikings plus three, 
hammer it. They played a good Green Bay Packers team. Kirk Cousins will probably turn around, and there is no way in hell I should have said that because Kirk Cousins looked absolutely awful. Had some of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. I mean, he threw up a heave to Adam Thielen because he hit Thielen twice last week on bombs. And he went this week through it into triple coverage. And my God, I don't know if Kirk Cousins has a vision problem, but that was one of the worst interceptions you're going to see. And on the Colts side, Jonathan Taylor, running back, the rookie out of Wisconsin. A lot of people were high on him in fantasy. I should have been a little bit higher. I didn't trust Wisconsin running backs, but he had a day. 26 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown. It looks like he's going to run away with that one, and he's going to be a key contributor to that team week in and week out. They lost Paris Campbell, a wide receiver. That's a big one, another injury to note. But, man, Kirk Cousins, 11 of 26, 113 yards, nothing to show for. Kirk Cousins, good for you that you got paid, but, man, Show that you care and practice a little bit. My God, if I were to choose today between Mitch Trubisky and Kirk Cousins, give me Mitch Trubisky twice on Sunday. Man, Kirk Cousins. Colts win 28-11. Minnesota drops to 0-2. Indy, of course, 1-1 after they lost to Jacksonville last week. And then we move on to Tampa Bay taking on the Carolina Panthers. Could Tom Brady and the new team he's on, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, somehow turn it around after a shit show they had in New Orleans last week? Pretty good team. But they should have been able to blow out Carolina, and they took care of business. 31-17 win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mike Evans had a big day, seven receptions, 104 yards, and a touchdown. And the big key note to take away here, especially if you're a fantasy guy, Ronald Jones scored a touchdown early in that game, but then he fumbled, and it was Leonard Fournette for the rest of the day. He looked alive and well, and we thought he was left for dead when he was cut by Jacksonville. But Fournette looks like he is running away with that job. 12 carries, 103 yards, and two touchdowns, and he had a breakaway run. That was a sight to see that we never actually thought we'd see again. And Tom Brady played pretty well, had another bad interception, they ran a flea flicker, my favorite play in all of sports, and Tom Brady underthrew it by about 10 yards. It was still caught, but that should have been a touchdown, so I'm going to blame Brady for that one. If there's anything to criticize Brady about, listen, I'm going to be the first one to do it week in and week out. Yes, he's the GOAT, but I sports hate that guy more than anyone in any sport. But he goes 23 of 35, 217 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Tampa Bay all is well. They're 1-1. One Tennessee takes on Jacksonville. And listen, if there's something we have to take from this game, it's that, and we should know at this point, we should actually know at this point, never go against Minshew mania. I mean, the guy just looks the part straight out of a movie. I mean, he could have played in a Not Another Teen movie. He could have played in Blue Mountain State. He looks like a character who, I mean, basically Joe Dirt playing quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Titans went up 14 to nothing early in that one, but Jacksonville and their running back, James Robinson, who looks very good at this point, they fought right back into the game. And Ryan Tannehill has a new favorite target, and John New Smith probably should look at him in fantasy football. But Ryan Tannehill, four touchdowns. Four tutties for Ryan Tannehill. Obviously, Tennessee, you know what you're getting. Derrick Henry in the backfield, they're going to give it to him 20-plus times a game, and that's going to let Ryan Tannehill throw it for... He threw, it for, he threw it 24 times yesterday, 18 of 24 and four tuts. 
Derrick Henry, 25 carries for, I think, 85 yards. Tennessee ends up winning 33-30. to And Goskowski, who missed three kicks on Monday Night Football last week, he saved the day again. Shout out to Mike Vrabel for keeping faith in that guy because a lot of people thought Goskowski might have got cut, but he's one of the all-time great kickers that we have in this game. And to miss three kicks and come back and win that game, and then the next week still have confidence in the guy, and he knocks one through again. But Tennessee went up 14-0 early, and then Minshew, the guy, got that game tied at 30-30 late in that game. And we're talking about Minshew numbers, 30 of 45, 339 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But shout out Minshew. I love that guy. In Jacksonville, they've been in both games that they've played in, and by all accounts, everyone was saying they were tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Minshew saying, hey, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna give up this job that easy. But Tennessee, 2-0. Who runs away with that division? They got an early lead, and that one over the Texans, Colts, Jaguars. I don't know who's going to win that South division, and it's been the shittiest division for a very long time in the AFC. Then we go to Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, the reigning MVP. And listen, if we're going to say anything about Baltimore, they are a complete football team. They blew out Cleveland last week. They played the Houston Texans in this one. And a matchup between Lamar Jackson and Deshaun, uh, Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, that should be a marquee matchup. Those are two of the most exciting quarterbacks in the game. But we're not going to get that as long as Bill Bryan is head coach in Houston because he traded away DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to mention that every chance I get because Deshaun Watson has nowhere to go with the football. He's running for his life. And I want to start a hashtag. We've seen the hashtag, let Russ cook in Seattle. Please save Deshaun Watson from Bill O'Brien. Baltimore blew Houston out 33-16. to It was a lot closer than the score indicates. But Deshaun Watson, I feel absolutely horrible for the guy. I'm not going to blame him for throwing balls into the ground because he's got 390-pound guys chasing him left and right every single play. Lamar Jackson, a pretty average game for him. But obviously... He's efficient. He went 18 of 24, 204 yards, one touchdown. Mark Ingram out of Wildcat had a big run, scored a touchdown off of that. But I think the only thing we got to talk about is Baltimore is a complete football team, both offensively and defensively. They forced turnovers at a very high rate. And we got to save Deshaun Watson from Bill O'Brien and that Houston franchise. I don't know what the hell's going on there. We move on to Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Denver Broncos. And the one note here, Drew Locke right away, first quarter, gets hurt. I think he sprained his shoulder. He's out of the game. And backup quarterback Jeff Driscoll comes in. One-time Florida Gator. I remember watching him probably play at Tennessee. For some reason, I always stumbled upon the Florida Gators playing the Tennessee Volunteers. And the game always ended up being a 9-3 final score. Three hours of my life I'll never get back. And Jeff Driscoll? Shout out to him. He kept Denver in this football game. Big Ben looks like he's got wide receivers all over the football field. I do want to mention that Chase Claypool, their rookie receiver out of Notre Dame, is a behemoth on the football field. He'll catch anything thrown his way, and he's an absolute burner in the open field. He's one of the most exciting rookies in football, I'm telling you. I watched him at Notre Dame. He was bigger than every defensive lineman there was, and still in the NFL, it looks like he's faster and bigger than everyone else. So they got Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith, 
James Conner had a big game out of the backfield, and obviously Claypool. Big Ben has weapons all over the field. I'm excited to see how far Pittsburgh can take this football team because we knew their defense last year. I think they'll come back a little bit because I don't think you could turn the ball over as much as they forced turnovers last year. But Pittsburgh ends up winning 26-21, but it must be noted that Jeff Driscoll kept Denver in it, and Big Ben has absolute weapons. He went 29-41, 311 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. But over there in Pittsburgh, I don't know who's doing their scouting for their skill positions, but they have been good for a very long freaking time. That's wide receiver U of the NFL. James Conner back. He was hobbled a little bit in the Monday night football game to start. Benny Snell obviously was the story there. He took over. But James Conner comes right back this week. 16 carries, 106 yards, touchdown. Fantasy owners, do not worry. And then we go to Kansas City. Coming to L.A. to take on the Chargers as the Chargers open up their new stadium. If you even want to call it their stadium. I had some guys drop some funny jokes in my group text. My friend Patrick Hollerup said, hey, this is the Chargers playing at 100% capacity with fans at their stadium. Which is kind of funny because there was no one there. Kind of cool joke. Maybe you don't think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. Because the Chargers will always play second fiddle. But a huge story in this game. Another game that I said hammer. There's no way Tyrod Taylor and the Chargers can keep up with the Kansas City offense. Minus eight and a half, hammer it, hammer it again, and then hammer it again. But right away, right off the bat, Anthony Lynn lets rookie quarterback Justin Herbert know five to ten seconds before the game, hey, Rook, get loose. You're starting this game because Tyrod has a chest problem. He's not going to play today. And Justin Herbert actually showed a lot of promise. We saw, him, we saw what he did in the Rose Bowl rushing for three touchdowns. We saw him, if you watch Pac-12 football, he's a very athletic guy, has a big arm, and he can run pretty damn well when he takes off with the football. And right now, I think I had a stat here about Herbert. I think he was the first quarterback, first player with a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown in the first half of his debut since 1954. There you go, Charger fans. Run away with that one. But the Chargers, they were in this game from the get-go. They were leading this game for most of it. They were up 17-9 to going into the fourth quarter, but you can't give Mahomes any time. And Mahomes let a throw loose from 50-plus yards to Tyreek Hill to score a late touchdown. And then they get the two-point conversion. It's 20-17. to Kansas City, you just knew. You just know with some quarterbacks. Go down the list of great quarterbacks. When they get the ball, when it's time to shine, when they need to get points on the board, Peyton Manning was the guy. Tom Brady was the guy. Big Ben really became the guy. Russell Wilson has become the guy. And Patrick Mahomes, obviously, you're not counting that guy out. You want him with the ball late in the game. So Kansas City forces an overtime with the Chargers. And you knew what was coming next. The Chargers actually had the ball in that game, a fourth and one in overtime. Decided not to go for it, punt it back to Kansas City to give Mahomes the football. And Kansas City twice got two fourth down conversions. And then they send out their kicker, Butker. They try to ice him. A classic Madden mood move. If you played Madden in your life, you try to ice the kicker a few different times. The Chargers tried to do that, and Butker knocked it through three different times for 58 yards out. Kansas City wins 23-20. Good teams win close games, and that's what Kansas City is. Obviously, I have them repeating as Super Bowl champions. But shout out to the Chargers. Looks like they got a quarterback. I know I was not high on Herbert. I obviously thought Burrow was the leader in the clubhouse when it came to the draft. Tua was next, and then Herbert after that. 
But shout out to Justin Herbert. 22 of 33, 311 yards, touchdown, and a rushing tug. Yes, he had a bad interception late. That's what rookie quarterbacks are going to do. But a pretty damn good outing for a debut rookie, especially for the Chargers. And then we go to Buffalo. I love this game. Buffalo Bills taking on the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins covered late in this one, and you just knew it was going to happen. I said last week, Brian Flores, good coach, has Miami playing tough games, tough until the very end, and Miami gets a backdoor cover. I know my brother was pissed when we were watching the game, but a few notes from this one. Listen, there's a guy named John Brown who's a wide receiver. He's a burner. John Smokey Brown. Smokey's his nickname, one of the great names. This guy's going to be playing for, I swear, John Brown could probably play into his 40s just running the go route and getting open. And Josh Allen found him. He was the first Bills quarterback in the history of that franchise for, to throw over 400 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. It looks like they're taking the training wheels off of Josh Allen, and they're letting him sling it, and I'm happy about it because the Bills are a very fun football team to watch. Stephon Diggs had a monster day. Monster day. Eight receptions, 153 yards, and a touchdown. And then on Miami's side, if we're going to mention anyone, probably Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to keep you in football games and he'll also blow games for you. But he's got a tight end named something Jasicki. And that's become a duo to reckon with in fantasy. Because Jasicki had eight receptions, 130 yards, one touchdown. But Fitz throwing the ball 47 times. Another guy that's going to probably live another lifetime and still be in the NFL. The Buffalo wins that one, 31-28. The Bills are 2-0, and they lift to play the Rams next week. Fire me up! Let's go to the San Francisco 49ers playing the New York Jets. Obviously, the mention, to mention in this one is the 49ers were hit with the injury bug. Kittle didn't play in this game. Debo Samuel's out. Richard Sherman's on IR already. And in this game, Jimmy G tried to stick it out with his ankle injury. He played most of the game. Raheem Mostert, first play of the game, broke one loose like he did last week. But he also got hobbled with a knee injury in this game. Solomon Thomas, a defensive tackle, got hurt. And then a huge injury to the defense was Nick Bosa going down with a knee injury. And the 49ers blame the turf in this one. Probably could be the case if you're having that many guys drop like flies. But the one thing I would take from this game is the New York Jets are god-awful. And I'll shit on Adam Gase every chance I get because I don't think he's a good football coach. And the New York Jets, they got a bunch of randos out there playing wide receiver with Sam Darnold, USC quarterback. But the Jets are going to have a huge dilemma on their hands come next year because it looks like they're on the fast track to the number one pick overall. And if Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, odds-on favorite to win the Heisman this year, if he's sitting at number one, do the Jets dare draft Trevor Lawrence and say deuces to Sam Darnold? I'd absolutely do it. I'd absolutely do it. But if I do it, I'm going to fire Adam Gase first. But the 49ers avoid going 0-2. They win the game 31-13. Jets figure it out. I don't know what in the hell that franchise is doing. Haven't been good in my lifetime. We jump to Arizona, taking on the Washington football team, and Kyler Murray was at it again. Listen, I don't know if this guy, you put quarterbacks into a blender. He's a little bit Russell Wilson because he's as elusive as ever. The guy's small. But he has a giant arm like Michael Vick. He's got the wills of Michael Vick. But when it comes to Russell Wilson, who avoids getting hit, at least hit hard, Kyler Murray is the same way. 
and he might be my favorite quarterback in football to watch. Obviously, I have a lot invested in him. I trade Lamar Jackson for him. And if we're talking about MVP front runners, it's Russell Wilson right now and Kyler Murray going head-to-head for it, and they're in the same freaking division. And the fact that Kyler has DeAndre Hopkins at his disposal, that combo has already proved to be lethal. Another touchdown from D-Hop in this game. But Kyler goes 26 of 38, 286 yards, a touchdown, and two rushing touchdowns. If you weren't high on the Arizona Cardinals, you better be high on them now. Who's going to come out of the NFC West? I don't know because you got the Rams at 2-0. you got Seattle at 2-0. you got the Cardinals at 2-0. And obviously San Francisco won the NFC last year as 1-1 right now. And we'll finish off about talking about the Seattle Seahawks. They had the late game against the New England Patriots and Cam Newton, and it was a hell of a game at that. Cam Newton. Let's talk about Cam Newton. How many teams had the chance to sign Cam Newton at the minimum this offseason and said, you know what? We don't trust this guy. We don't know if his injuries are going to play a part. Let's just pass on Cam Newton. Let's go with the rookie quarterback or the shitty quarterback and not take the former MVP. And Bill Belichick came in. Of course, the wizard he is says, you know what? Cam Newton's out there. Tom Brady just left us. Cam Newton's what? 30, 31 years old. I'll sign that guy for a million dollars and change my entire offense to build it around him. And Cam Newton has been great in the first two weeks. Had a couple of rushing touchdowns last week against the Miami Dolphins. And then this week he goes 30 of 44, 397 yards, a touchdown, and two rushing touchdowns. He threw the ball 44 times. He's slinging it almost through for 400 yards. But on the last play of the game, Cam Newton was stopped at the buzzer on the goal line. Patriots had a shot to win with three seconds left down 35-30. They run a draw play for Newton, which seems to work every single time throughout this guy's career. And Seattle stopped it. Everyone in the building, there was no fans there, but every personnel in the building knew who was getting the ball and Seattle was ready for it and put a stop to it. Seattle wins 35-30, but a great game, a great showing from Cam Newton. And of course, Russell Wilson, who I said is the front runner for MVP, and yes, sir, he is. He almost has as many touchdown passes this season as he does in completions. He went 21 of 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. And I want to say one thing about the Seattle Seahawks. They made a trade. Those shitty Jets that I just talked about, those piss poor New York Jets, traded away Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. And Jamal Adams is a freaking monster. There's guys when you watch games that the... uh, Announcers seem to mention every other play, and Jamal Adams was that guy. He was catching Cam Newton from behind. He was covering guys left and right on the field, and it seemed like every time they sent him on a blitz, he was the first guy in the backfield to make the tackle. So Seattle made that play at the buzzer. He chucks his helmet off. He's chirping. I love Jamal Adams. He's probably one of the best defensive players in the game. We just did not care to watch the Jets over the last couple of years. But now he's in the spotlight in Seattle, and thank you very much. I'm going to be locked into those guys. So that's what we have for week two. Tonight, the Saints will go into Las Vegas to take on the Raiders. I don't know who's going to win that one. The Saints are favored right now at minus four and a half. I think the Raiders are good, but if you're not fading me at this point, it's your problem. You're the problem if you're not fading the picks I give you because through two weeks, these three games I give you going into weekends, I'm two and six. The only game I got right yesterday was my Rams steamrolling Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Because I got the Vikings absolutely wrong, and the Chargers proved a lot of people wrong yesterday, keeping that one close against the Chiefs. We'll talk about the NBA for a little bit. Just some quick hitters. The Boston Celtics, they were down, but they're not out. 
In game three, they came back and basically controlled that one from the start to make it a 2-1 series deficit over the Miami Heat. And we got a series in that one. I really, truly believe that series is going seven games in the Eastern Conference. And then the Lakers on Friday night showed the Denver Nuggets their no match for the star power the Lakers have in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And then last night, going head-to-head with the Patriots and Seahawks games, the Lakers and Denver Nuggets played game two. The Lakers almost squandered a huge lead collapse. They led it from the start again. And in the final seconds, Denver had the lead. And with 2.1 seconds left on the clock, the Lakers drew up a play out of a timeout, and Denver looked lost. Plumley ran into the back of J- Jeremy Grant and left Anthony Davis wide open beyond the arc to shoot the ball right over Jokic. At the buzzard, ball game, Lakers win 105-103 to 103 and take a commanding 2-0 series lead. And the best part about it was when Anthony Davis saw that ball go through the net, he turned around in that black Lakers jersey, and you saw the words come off his mouth, and those were Kobe. Because that's what this season is dedicated to for the Lakers, and it looks like they are the team to beat that's left in the NBA. But we can't be too quick to count Denver out. Because they obviously competed yesterday. And we know they've come back from two different 3-1 series deficits, so let's not count them out. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Lakers, I hope it's a Celtics-Lakers NBA Finals, but we can't be too sure about that because 2020 is not giving us anything. And as far as baseball goes, it's the final week of the baseball season. The Dodgers will finish the season playing the Oakland A's and then the shitty, lowly Angels to finish the season. They'll probably lock up the one seed this week. They're going to win their eighth consecutive division title in the NL West. And there's one thing to note. If the season ended today, the Dodgers would be taking on the Cincinnati Reds. And that's a little bit concerning because right now Trevor Bauer is a favorite to win the NL Cy Young and if he could take a 1-0 lead over the Dodgers in that first three game series that's not good that's not good I'd rather play a team that doesn't have a guy like Bauer who can shove and shut down any offensive baseball but I also think the Dodgers offense if any offense in baseball out of any team can knock Bauer around a little bit it's those guys Pollock's having a great year Mookie Betts is obviously an MVP candidate And the Dodgers have been the best team in baseball all year long, but it only matters when October comes, and it's the final week of the season. Let's go. I can't wait for baseball playoffs to start because it's going to be crazy with 16 teams involved this year. But I had to note that if we play the Reds and Trevor Bowers pitching that game one, possibly against Clayton Kershaw, it's going to be electric. But the Dodgers offense is going to have to show up big time against that right arm, Trevor Bowers. And that's all I have today for the podcast on September 21st, 2020. You can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at 10 after 7, 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.